Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. WGR Sports Radio 550. No, I expect him to play. He's already been delayed four games. So, yeah, he'll play what capacity, you know, how much he really plays. Uh, I'm not sure, but he's definitely going to play. I'm happy to have him back. He's an enormously talented individual. You know, he does a lot of things well, plays the run well, he rushed the passer inside. He's in good enough shape to play. How many plays he'll get on Sunday, we're not sure, but we're expecting him to go out and perform at a high level, and we'll see. It's been great. Being back with the fellas, just kind of being around, um, they really make me feel welcome. It's, it's, it's a family. We spend a lot of time together and just for them guys to embrace me like they do, make you feel good. On WGR Sports Radio 550. All right, welcome in. It is Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR Sports Radio 550. I'm your host, Nate Geary. This morning, Sal Capaccio joins me in a minute. Today, an interesting day. We have a lot to talk about. There's Buffalo Bills. There's Chad Kelly. There's Sabres hockey. It's fall, as we talked about last weekend. Fall in, in October, the high holy month of sports. That's uh, exactly what you would expect a fall morning to look like. A little rainy, a little gloomy. But that's not going to stop us from talking sports this morning. There's fall beers, there's fall weather, there's fall football, everything you could want out of a Saturday morning on WGR, and I don't want to wait any further. I'm going to bring Sal Capaccio in right now on the AT&T hotline before we get to his picks of the week, which I, I'm assuming you did pretty well again last week, right, Sal? I was 2-1, and one, another winning week. Uh, and I uh, lost the Monday night game. I felt good after the weekend. I'm like, woohoo, I had, I had nailed five in a row. From one weekend to the next until Monday night came. So six and three overall, and uh, I'll, I'll take that, man. That's that's a nice little record for uh, Vegas. That's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, like I said last week, you could be on that show in the morning. You know, the, the <laughs> betting show. I think I think you'd be a nice asset. Plus, you know, you don't exactly have that uh, that Jersey accent, but we could figure something out for you. Sale the Bills headed up to LA. You'll be headed up there shortly. Let's start right off the bat with what they're going to be doing as far as their travel arrangements. They're going up today instead of going up. Friday or earlier in the week, as I believe, uh, I think it was Marone when they were, went to the West Coast. They went up the full week before to kind of get them acclimated to the time zone change. Your thoughts on is this a good idea? Is this something they're tinkering with? I know Rex Ryan talked a little bit about doing some studies on it, not himself personally, but the team did some studies as to you know how teams perform going up there the day before. What are your thoughts and uh, and maybe concerns about them going up today opposed to Friday? Well, I mean, I'm not the one that has to play in a game, right. so it's not my body that has to worry about it. And, you know, I'll defer to however each individual coach believes it's best for his team. I think that you could go either way. Really, if 
if a team goes out there early and they play well, they feel, you know what, we went out early, we should go do that again. If they go out early and play poorly, well, maybe we shouldn't do that. If they don't go out early and play well or poorly, the same thing happened in London. You know, um, the Jags had gone out early because they played there a few years now in a row. They had gone out early before and uh, they weren't, you know, didn't play well. They went out later in the week last year when the Bills played them. They won the game, so you know they probably did the same thing this year. Look, I mean, it, it's all in how each coach feels for its individual team. But yes, you're right. Rex Ryan and the Bills, the Bills themselves, did a study months ago, back in the off season. Uh, when the schedule came out, or even before that, actually, saying, what is the optimal time? And according to their results, it said they they were told the optimal time that your body will be at its peak performance, there's two choices. Either go out a week before, well, that's not practical, or go out the night before. But don't middle it. Don't go out two days before, three days before. And that's what um, the Bills are going to do, is go out the night before, which is tonight. So, yeah, we're headed out here in a couple hours. And basically, when we get in, it'll be around 4 or 5 o'clock L.A. time. And then, you know, everything is the same as a normal road trip. That's the exact same time we got into Providence last week for the Patriots game. And then, you know, remember, the game is 125 their time tomorrow. So when players wake up, it's like a normal routine breakfast on the bus, go to the stadium and play at 1 o'clock game. Yeah, and, and is this going to be your first time in the L.A. Coliseum? Yes, I've wow. never been there before. So uh, how, I mean, how excited are you for that? I mean, for not, them not having their own stadium, playing in the Coliseum is a pretty cool place to be there part-time until their you know, multi-billion dollar stadium is built. But you know, how excited are you to be in that sort of setting? And maybe, I, I know as a fan, I'm excited to watch the Bills play in the Coliseum. I just think it's such an amazing you know, building to play at. So how excited are you to, uh, to be in there in the Coliseum? Well, I'm, I'm excited for every city that I go to to see a new stadium that I haven't seen yet, even the ones I have. Like even you know, Gillette last week, mm-hmm. there's always something new uh, that you kind of get or think about. But anytime we go to a new city that I haven't been in, I think about that and say, okay, this is a new stadium. I haven't seen it yet. You know, what's it going to be like? So um, that's very exciting. But yeah, the, the history there and knowing that you're going to be in one of the last, what, maybe 20 games played in that stadium, um, you know, then that's that's pretty cool, too. So it'll be interesting. And, you know, I know that, um, you know, people think about football and the Rams and stuff. This is, you know, this is the home of the L.A. Olympics, too, in 1980. You know, I was a kid growing up watching that. And there's a lot of people out there probably remember that as well. So it's going to be pretty cool. going to be pretty historic. So we'll see how it is. All right, so let's get into a little bit of X's and O's with the Bills. The past two weeks, we've seen, I don't want to say a much different offense, but we have seen different wrinkles. We've seen different formations. We've seen play development and one thing that I've noticed and maybe you can you know talk to this a little bit too is the development of route combinations and and what I've noticed a lot are double ins and double slants and making easy reads for Tyrod Taylor if this guy isn't open that means the other one is and what I've noticed now from one week to the next with Anthony Lynn under only two weeks obviously in his offense but I've noticed him disguising the same pattern. So on that double-in concept, you know, running what looks to be a post-wheel and then cutting off into double-ins. Maybe you can talk to, because you're on the field, maybe you can talk to a little bit about what you've seen under Anthony Lynn opposed to, you know, Greg Roman. Well, I think that they're, obviously, they're going a bit of a quicker passing game, but I think that it's more of a matchup situation, A, that they're trying to look and take advantage of now, um, maybe as opposed to, you know, trying to let plays develop. They're just seeing the matchup and saying, go with that, whatever you see. Um, you know, what you're talking about is, you know, which defender you're putting in conflict, essentially. You know, if there's a if there's a guy that's sitting in a certain zone, if he's playing, you know, man, he's going to have to decide what to do. Mostly in zone, he's got to decide what to do, which route to take. So, you know, Tyrod looks at that guy, decides I'm going to take the other guy, throw it to him. But I've just seen basically a more 
um, quicker, up-tempo, let's get the ball out, let's throw it to this guy type of offense. Not the first read necessarily, but pick the best matchup and then go with that best matchup. And if he's you know, not open, then you look for something else. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's what you're going to probably see from here on out uh, going forward. I think they'd like to take more strikes down the field, but last week didn't call for that in the game plan. And then once they had the game in hand, they just kind of made sure that they you know stayed on it and uh, shortened the game as much as possible. But I do think they want to strike down the field when they can. This week will be interesting. I think the Rams are a very, very aggressive unit, even on the back end. Um, I think that you might get a couple chances for the Bills to have some double moves to try and get down the field, maybe a Marquise Goodwin or something, a wheel route, something like that. But you're going to have to protect long enough. That's the problem. You know, People want to strike down the field all the time. Yeah, that's great. Can you protect your quarterback long enough to do that? I think that's always you know, an issue right there. Yeah, I mean, last week when you watched the film, at times Tyrod had all day in the pocket to throw it in, and that's really a testament to the offensive line really coming together and gelling well after only four games this season and obviously some injury issues as well. Um, Sale, another guy that we talked about a little bit last week, Justin Hunter, he's going to be activated this week. Is that correct? I don't know if he's active for the game. He's on the roster. He's on the roster. I mean, tomorrow the inactives will come out. He could very well be inactive for the game. So they released, well, IR – for Greg Salas. I'm guessing he would be active considering right. Salas's, but but that's not there's you know if he's not ready if he's not ready right. to fit in the offense yet they they won't do that. So my thought is is if Justin Hunter isn't playing, how many receivers are they going to be going into the game? Now we know that Salas is now either out for the season with that eight that you know eight week could return possibility for him on the IR. How many receivers are they going to be able to use in this game? And will we see a little bit more of uh, Charles Clay moving forward in his role? I think is developing a little bit more in this offense. Well, I think, well, you're looking at um, Robert Woods and Marquise Goodwin are your top two. Behind him, behind them, Walter Powell, Brandon Tate, you know, they still have in the roster as a receiver. He's a return man, but he, he did get some snaps as a receiver as well the last couple of weeks. But that the key is there, what you're going to do with Charles Clay. Last week, Charles Clay actually played kind of more like a wide receiver. You know, they flexed him out. They put him... Uh, they put him in a slot, they put him split, and they had guys covering him one-on-one. And really, the reason that that was able to happen was because Nick O'Leary's coming along so well as a blocker. You know, Nick O'Leary is getting a lot more snaps. The first two weeks of the season under Greg Roman, Nick O'Leary had six snaps. He had three in week one, he had three in week two. Week three, he got 10, and week four, he got over, he had 27, I believe it was. I mean, that's a huge jump. That tells you the kind of faith that Anthony Lynn has and what Nick O'Leary can do, and that can really move Charles Clay. So if Nick O'Leary can continue to do what he's doing, which is be a threat in both the blocking and the passing aspect of the offense, then it allows you to put Charles Clay in different spots, kind of become that fifth receiver, if you will, or third receiver, even if you want to term it that way. But he can put him one-on-one with defensive backs or linebackers and try and find that matchup we were talking about. Sal, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, obviously they're facing a unit for the Rams isn't exactly, I would call, high-powered. You know, Case Keenum, maybe a little bit similar what they're trying to do with their offense, the same as the Bills. Short, intermediate passing game, focus on the run, trying to get going. They really haven't gotten Gurley going. So is there going to be, do you think, an emphasis against this stout Bills run defense for the most part, other than that Jets game where they got chewed up, but there was a lot of carries from Forte in that game, and they were up most of the game. What are your thoughts? What do the Bills need to do, and do you think, that the Rams ultimately, their goal is today or tomorrow to get Todd Gurley going. Yeah, I think it's their only chance really to try and win games, although they, I know they've won three games, he hasn't been going, but they try to. They do try to get him going as much as possible. 
Um, but you know, once they can't do that, they have to try to abandon that. And look, this is a this is a team. If you go back and watch, they didn't score a touchdown their first two weeks. Yet they won one of those games. You know, they beat Seattle, and then the touchdowns they did score the last couple weeks came on bigger plays. Uh, one play that I've described a couple times. It was. Um, Brian Quick, I believe, was caught the ball around midfield. There was a defender right on him, good coverage. And then another defender came and just missed a tackle, and he turns and runs 50 yards for a touchdown. Um, they have Tavon Austin, who can be a big threat in the return game that can set them up, and they're going to rely on those types of plays. They're not going to be a team that's going to methodically drive the ball down the field. They'd love to do that. They just can't right now. I don't think they have the offensive line to do that. And for some reason, Todd Gurley, maybe that's why, Nate, but he looks to me when I watch him on film like he's kind of going in slow motion right now, like he's waiting for the hole instead of just pounding it into the hole and trying to have something develop. So I do think that that's what they're going to try and do. And, you know, it's going to be 87 degrees. And if the Bills can, if they can wear the Bills down doing that, then they're going to keep doing that. Case Keenum is Case Keenum. And I think the key for the Bills this week is you have to make Case Keenum look like Case Keenum. Like they made Jacoby Brissett look like a third-string rookie quarterback with an injured thumb. They need to make Case Keenum look like a journeyman quarterback that is only what his career record is, what, 500? I don't even know. So I think that's even less than that. So I think that's the key. You have to basically, if you're Rex Ryan and the Bills, you need to do what good teams and good defenses do against quarterbacks like Case Keenum and make him look like who he is. Sal, the last question I hear before we get into your three-dog picks, Marcel Darius making his return from four-game suspension how I you know I know Rex Ryan's alluded to it multiple times. We, they don't exactly know what capacity they're going to have Marcel out there. But do you think maybe just the presence of having Marcel back maybe adds a boost of confidence in this already what I think is a defense gaining confidence week by week? Does just his presence alone maybe give this defense an extra boost this week? Yeah, I think that there's a couple reasons why. I mean, number one, you love having, you know, when when guys behind Marcel see him there, they know, you know, hey, man, this is a guy, he's going to eat a little bit. You know, he's going to take up blockers. I can do my thing, although they don't have a problem doing that already. But it really, I think what it is for me is you look around. Now, I, I don't know who's going to be inactive or active, but you look at it, think about it. Their defensive line rotation, they have six legitimate guys who can play at any moment. Kyle Williams, Marcel Darius, Corbin Bryant. Doosable, worthy, and Adolphus Washington. I mean, you know, that's a that's a really healthy-looking defensive line rotation. Then you add Jerry Hughes and Lorenzo Alexander on the edges. So I think that that's, that's why you get the confidence. And then, look, if you're the L.A. Rams, you have to know Marcel's playing, so you have to do something to have a little bit of a game plan. For the first four weeks teams they played, they didn't have to worry about game planning for Marcel Darius. Not that they would focus their game plan, but you got to be aware where he is. you got to know that. And, of course, that's going to free up Kyle Williams maybe and things like that. So... There's no doubt, and I think from both the Bills' aspect of the players around him and from the opponent's aspect, having Marcel Darius just available to play and being on the field, even if he's not quite ready to play you know, all the snaps, is a huge boost. All right, Sal, without further ado, let's get into your picks for this week. Obviously, an interesting week in, in across the league. So there are some underdogs, though, so let's see which ones that uh, I should be taking because I'm going to be listening to you closely here. All right, the first one I'm going to do here, I'm going to take, and I'm going to tell you, the Washington Redskins are getting four points at the Baltimore Ravens. And I think that's good news for the Bills here because, you know, if you're a Bills fan, you want Baltimore to lose. I think you should take Washington here. I'm telling you to. Plus four points. This is a beltway game, and these two teams are rival cities. They're so close to each other, it's ridiculous. I went to the Nationals game when we were there for the preseason game in D.C., and there were more Orioles fans in that stadium from Baltimore than there were Nationals fans, I'm telling you. So that's how crazy these two cities are in rivals against each other in sports. Now, since the Ravens were formed, only one Nate, of the five games these two teams have played has been decided by more than a touchdown. 
That's wow. how close it is. The last time they played was back in 2012. The Redskins won 38, sorry, 31 to 28 in overtime. I also think it's two teams that are going in opposite directions. Let me tell you what I mean. Baltimore's four games. I'll go in order. They won by six against the Bills. Then they won by five. Then they won by two. And then they lost. So they decreased their margin of victory. And then they lost. Redskins, on the other hand, opened with a loss by 22. Then lost by four. Then they won by two and won by 11. <laughs> so this is a team that was 0-2. Now they flipped the script. They're just like the Bills. They're 2-2. Two two. I like ball, I like Washington here plus the four points. I think that's too big of a number to give in a game like this. Another one is San Diego and Oakland. All right, now, I think we'd all agree that, you know, Oakland's looking really good. San Diego, oh, they, they just don't look as good as you think because you look at that record. Here's a few things for you, though. Number one, how about this? San Diego, by the way, in this game, I'm taking San Diego plus four and a half. Oh. San Diego has had the lead in every game at the two-minute warning. Do you know that? Wow. They've the actually had quarter? the lead in every game they wow. played at the fourth quarter two-minute warning, and yet here they sit at one and three. Wow. All right, in this series, all right, Oakland against San, San Diego – the underdog has covered 12 of the last 14 games between these two teams. Oakland at home against the spread in their last 102 games, 35-66-1. They're not a good home team uh, against the spread. Also, Oakland has a favorite, and any favorite, road or home, seven wins in their last 29 against the spread. So I'm going to tell you to take the San Diego Chargers four and a half points in this one here. And then finally... I know people are going to think I'm crazy, but it's a huge number, and I'll give you a reason why. I think the Browns are going to play with the Patriots, Nate. I do. I don't wow. think they're going to beat them, but I think they're going to play with them, and you're giving me double ten, digits yeah, and a half point on top of it. It's a ten-and-a-half-point game. All right, now I know Tom Brady is back. Tom Brady is great. There's no doubt. He's also been off four weeks. There's, I'm sure people will think he's going to not miss a beat. I think there's something to be said for not having that four weeks with your receivers, including Rob Gronkowski, who's been banged up. But Cleveland's offense... I know that they're not a good team. They're 0-4. They're number one in the league running the football right now, 149 yards a game, and they're the only team in the league over five yards a carry. They're at 5.74. They're leading the league there. Last I checked, Tom Brady does not play defense for the New England Patriots. The Bills showed that you can do some things against them. I think Cleveland sees that. I love Hugh Jackson. I think he'll have a good game plan here. Now that number one rushing game for the Cleveland offense goes against a Pats D that's 15th in the league in yards per game. Over 100 yards a game allowed on the ground, and they're 20th in yards per play on the ground. Hey, this is the Browns Super Bowl, man. They're not going to win many games, but it's at home. This is their game. They're going to fight. They're going to play hard. I think they're going to keep this one close. Cleveland probably in the end winds up losing it somehow because that's what they do. I'm sure they lose by maybe six, seven, eight points, but give me the ten and a half. I will take the Cleveland Browns to play with the Patriots, and I'll take that huge number. Cleveland plus ten and a half against New England. San Diego plus four and a half at Oakland. Washington plus four at Baltimore. All right, Sal, thank you very much for hopping on again this morning. Safe travels to L.A. I'm very jealous you'll be in the Coliseum, but we will uh, talk at halftime tomorrow, and uh, looking forward to it. All right, no problem, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Sal Capaccio there on the AT&T hotline joining us, giving us our three underdogs of the day. As Sal mentioned earlier, six and three this season on his underdog picks. So someone to pay attention to if you will be out and about doing your parlays or betting. So up next in the next half hour, I'll have Chris Trapasso of Buffalo Rumblings on with me. We'll get some of his opinions on the Bills game as well. And then when we come back in the next hour, I've got some thoughts. I've got, I don't want to say hot takes, but I've got a rant. And I know people enjoy my rants. 
So I decided to, I didn't really have to honestly create or modify or, or just come up with, it was kind of, it's kind of an organic rant. I, I don't have anything prepared. I'm just going to go off on Chad Kelly. What do you, what do you think about that, Braden? Well, I got some interesting things to say. So about you have Chad some things Kelly, to add. So I can't wait to talk with you. Well, about perfect that. because you know there are. To me, there are no reasons, none that I can think of off the top of my head, for one, a spectator to enter the field of play during little league. Now, here's my question: okay. Was he on the field yes. on the sidelines with the team, or was he in, in the, the stands. stands and then went onto the field? That's that's a good question because I don't think that's ever been clarified. That's so a good question. Just, my my guess is that he was on, on the, the field on the sidelines with the team. Yes. You know what? I, and I'll tell you this: I being a guy that when I go see Frontier games, when I go to the, go watch Frontier, I end up sit, standing on the sidelines next to the AD with some of the other alum watching the game. I feel that. So you're right. That's something that I hadn't thought about. Where was he? Was he in the stands? Because if he jumped over the stands and into the game. That is just completely unacceptable. If he's on the sidelines, I you know what, Brayden, and, and I'll tease this, and we're gonna we're not gonna get to talk about it until the twelve o'clock hour, but I think it's worse if you're on the sidelines. I think you have to hold yourself in a totally different manner when you are allowed to be on the sidelines watching, cheering on your alumni. To me, there's no reason. At all. Even if you're Chad Kelly, just regular Chad Kelly doesn't play Division One college football and you're just there watching your brother, you still have no right. You have zero right to walk onto that field in a fighting stance and act the way that you did. There is just no no excuse for it. 803 888-552-550. We will be taking your calls at the 12 o'clock hour right after we have Chris Trapasso on here next from Buffalo Rumblings. We're going to get into more Bills talk, a little bit of X's and O's with him, a little bit more on Tyrod Taylor, a little bit more on that defense. So Chris Trapasso joins me next here on WGR. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday. I'm Nate Geary with Brayton Wilson on the board. You're listening to WGR. I mean, it's, it's my safe haven. It's my getaway. It's where I can be myself, and I don't really feel like I have anything to worry about. With all the bullets flying, I never felt I never feel more comfortable. Bills defensive tackle Marcel Darius there as he makes his season debut for the Bills after serving a four-game suspension for we don't exactly know whether it was missed drug tests or a positive drug test. Uh, hasn't exactly, I think, to me anyways, been totally cleared up. Thank you for tuning in to Sports Talk Saturday. I'm Nate Geary. Chris Trapasso will be along with me in just a few moments on the AT&T hotline. We'll get some of his thoughts on the Bills, obviously, heading into L.A. tomorrow to play at the L.A. Coliseum. A 425 kickoff. That'll be on Fox, I believe, as the Bills uh, face off against an NFC opponent. So, a few of the things that I want to lay out before we talk to Chris. There are a few interesting, there are a few storylines to this game um, that I'll be paying attention to. One being, can Tyrod Taylor put together three consecutive games where I feel comfortable with him and his progression and his development as the starting quarterback of his team? 
I watched more film, all 22, last week. And I did a breakdown on Buffalo Rumblings, which you'll you'll hear Chris come on next, and we'll talk a little bit about the article as well. Is the comfortability the what seems to be, anyways, for me, a maybe not a downfall in Tyrod Taylor's game in today's NFL, but something I'm noticing about Tyrod's game, and it's and what it is is I'm seeing a guy more comfortable and more fundamentally sound when making decisions from under center. Um, and, and this is something that I've that I've I've noted, I've written about, I've seen through four games this year. That there just seems to be just more. He's more comfortable. He makes the right decisions. He makes quicker decisions when he is taking the snap from under center, able to take that three, five, seven step drop, and then make a decision opposed to starting in shotgun. Where I just feel as though his his fundamentals, his comfortable, whatever you want to call it, his his ability to dissect the defense, something happens inside of his mind, inside of his fundamentals. Something happens when he starts off in shotgun opposed to starting off under center. And that leads me to my good friend Chris Trapasso from Buffalo Rumblings. He joins me now on the AT&T Hotline. Chris, thank you for joining me this morning. I appreciate it. How are you, my friend? I'm doing pretty good, Nate. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Chris, I was just sort of dissecting a little bit of what I wrote about this week in my film breakdown of Tyrod Taylor. And, and I want to bring it to you a little bit. And, and I think people have maybe, hopefully because of this, started to take notice at a little bit of what Anthony Lynn has done to start to make Tyrod Taylor more successful, put him in situations that are a little bit more advantageous to his style of play, a little bit more, there's just more of a comfortable level when you see Tyrod roll out of the pocket and move that pocket, and there's a conscious effort to move him around to shorten the field of play. And I've noticed it more under Anthony Lynn, and I want your opinion. What have you seen since Anthony Lynn has taken over these past two weeks and maybe how the offense and really how Tyrod Taylor's decision-making and thought presses and fundamentals have changed over these two weeks? Sure. First, I'll start with kind of going off what you were talking about, about the difference between Tyrod from under center and in the shotgun, I think you've been spot on in that his footwork seems to be a lot better. And actually, you know, pretty much by the book when he's under center as compared to shotgun. I think back to two years ago um, when E.J. Manuel was still trying to kind of find his footing um, in the NFL, that he was much better from under center than he was in shotgun, and people were trying to figure out why. And I remember tweeting something about it, and Joe Licata, the uh, former UB star, said that it's a lot easier to obviously start dissecting the defense from under center because you are seeing the defense right after the snap. And shotgun, although it's just a split second, you've got to look down and see that ball and catch that football, then look up and readjust, and the defense could, you know, maybe pre-snap there was two uh, safeties. After the snap, they've kind of shifted into a cover three look with only one safety in the middle of the field. So I think along with his footwork, um, he's just able to see the entire field from the moment he gets the ball when he's under center. Yeah, and Chris, you would think, now I, I played the position for like 15 years. I did most of my work until I got to college under center. And I played a lot of triple option. I played a lot of pro style. And when I got to college and I had to make that transition, I was always, 
Playing under center for most of my career, I always wanted to be able to just sit back in the pocket, out of shotgun, get the snap. And then when I, I, I started doing that, and I, and I started taking snaps from shotgun, I realized how much more difficult it was on just the simplest of plays. So a simple, quick wide receiver screen that, you know, a guy running out to the sidelines, having that outside receiver come down and crack block, or having just a five to seven yard hitch, how much more difficult it is for a quarterback to make that throw out of shotgun opposed to doing it from under center. You not only you're right, you have to take that second to make sure you get the ball. But in most cases you have to take another second to then make sure you get your fingers placed on the laces of the ball and then you can make your decision on where you want to throw. But when you are starting out of shotgun, you're already starting at three-step drop depth. And I think that's maybe what confuses guys and confuses the average person, is when you take a three-step drop from under center, you're at the depth you are already at under shotgun. So when you switch that up and now you're under and you're in the shotgun formation, you have to completely change your footwork. And I think what we saw, and, and I think a glaring example of it was in that Washington preseason game, where he got killed from the blind side and it was because he was sitting flat-footed in the pocket waiting for Sammy Watkins to get open and he gets killed blindside because he's not able to move his head and move himself and then all of a sudden this week I'm seeing more of the Taylor we saw last year where he's moving his feet he's on his toes and I mean maybe you can talk to a little bit about what you've seen as far as his footwork I know we just talked a little bit about him under center and shotgun but his footwork is not it's still not consistent. It's still a work in progress for me there. What have you noticed about what he can do maybe to improve his consistency there? Yeah, I think you've done a great job in your film sessions, on, um, now on the radio just kind of um, explaining those differences and that obviously when you're in shotgun and you're quarterback, you're catching the ball and you're flat-footed. And for as much as Tyrod has a naturally strong arm, especially for being a guy who's six foot six one you need that good foot good footwork you need to kind of create that torque between your upper body and your lower body and i think it just comes more naturally when you're moving your feet and then obviously with tyrod's elusiveness he's going to be able to make guys miss who are coming blindside or even up the middle when he's already moving his feet in his drop from from under center i think though in terms of what they've done with the offense and I wrote about it uh, this week, and it's just been kind of the, the, the biggest thing that I've seen going from Greg Roman to Anthony Lynn, is that I think Greg Roman was kind of keying on the vertical passing game too much, and the Bills' offense, because Tyrod was so good down the field last year, two Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods, whoever, um, that, that seemed to be what the staple of the Bills' offense was, that even on third and fives, third and sixes, and I know a lot of fans were not happy with you know, on those even shorter third downs, they were throwing deep shots. And in those first two games, when you watch that film, um, you see guys running vertically a lot. And I think what Anthony Lynn has done is said, okay, we know that in our back pocket we have Tyrod's accuracy down the field, but let's get him into a rhythm. Let's move the chains with a lot of more horizontal routes, a lot of drag routes, a lot of stick routes, um, Lance even that we didn't really see at all in the first two games and not much last year. Um, so for a quarterback that, like Tyrod, with his ability down the field, you would think you, know, you should be trying to throw five, six, seven, eight times um, 20, 30, 40 yards down the field per game. But the only problem with that is, is that Tyrod has that tendency to kind of get antsy in the pocket when it's taking kind of a long time for those routes to develop down the field and when pressure is mounting. So with someone like him that has that tendency – 
let him you know have some easy reads in the three to seven to ten yard um, just route concepts and let him get the ball to those receivers quickly so he doesn't have to worry about the pressure mounting or hey do I have to kind of turn into a running back now and elude pressure so I think Anthony Lynn has has kind of flipped it on its head and saying you know this is not just going to be a, a vertical Bruce Arians North Turner kind of offense we're going to have that but it's not going to be the staple we're going to let Tyrod we're not going to let him get antsy in the pocket and throw some short passes that we saw against the Cardinals and definitely against the Patriots that will move the chains and keep the defense fresh. Chris, let's talk a little bit about the big uglies up front and the Bills this season, when they've been good and they've been successful on offense, it's been because of their offensive line, giving Taylor time, but opening holes in the run game as well. For me, that L.A. front is probably, and and over the course of these first four weeks, they've played some of the league's premier front sevens. This week, it gets no easier with a guy, Aaron Donald, up the middle, who to me is one of the best young defensive interior linemen in the league. You looked last year, and, and I think the blueprint maybe was set on how the Bills can you know, defeat really good front sevens. You look last year against the Houston Texans. They really neutralized J.J. Watt up the middle. Do you see a similar game plan being maybe employed this week against L.A.? And maybe what are some ways this Bills offensive line can neutralize what I think is one of the top young front sevens in the league? Oh, I think you're spot on about that. And I would even go a step further. I think Aaron Donald is one of the best defenders in the league, if not the best defender in the league with J.J. Watt out. He just has just the best combination of burst off the ball, he uses his hands extremely well, and there's not just one move, swim move, spin move, rip move, anything in the book, he has that. He's very powerful. He's good against the run, good awareness. Um, He can shed blocks. He can really do it all. Um, And, yeah, I think what you'll see is um, some extra protection in the backfield, whether that's Jerome Felton. Shady McCoy's kind of been hit or miss with his pass protection. Um, But I think they'll probably use – kind of a similar game plan to what they used against J.J. Watt. The only difference is that Aaron Donald is playing inside a little bit more. However, I think there's a perfect counter that the Bills have in their playbook for Aaron Donald, that he likes to get up the field. They don't really ask him to really two-gap or or eat blocks very much. They want him up the field into the opponent's backfield. Um, The Bills run a really nice trap play where the one, um, one guard pulls to the second level the other guard who completely lets his defensive lineman go up the field, which in this case it, it would be Aaron Donald, the other guard comes across the formation and kind of crack uh, blocks him out of the play. So I think you will see that. It's, it's a you know, right-up-the-middle kind of run play. You can use Mike Gillisley. You can use Shady McCoy. You can even uh, use Jerome Felton on that play if you want. Um, so I think they're going to not say, hey, like, let's try to completely stymie Aaron Donald because it's, not, it's, it's probably not going to happen throughout the course of a game. Let's use his aggressiveness against him and let him get upfield and maybe run away from him or use that trap wham play um, to let him get up the field but then completely uh, keep him out of the play um, when the Bills are running the football. All right, before I ask you about whether or not you buying or selling this 3-1 L.A. start, I want to ask you, about Carlos Williams, who there was a lot of rumor this week, a lot of reporting that he was going to come in for a workout yesterday, then basically be signed immediately after. The the, the, the workout got canceled, and now it sort of seems to be in limbo. 
Reggie Bush now, we're looking at potentially a second game in a row where he's going to be inactive, although he's 100% healthy. What do you think ultimately ends up coming of this Carlos Williams situation? Is he a guy that I think this Bills team maybe has, they feel as though they don't want other teams to be able to utilize and use, or is this a, a genuine need for this team to have that power back in this offense? Uh, I think it's really going to come down to that workout. I think personally, and there's no inside info here for me, I think that they just wanted to wait until they came back from L.A. early next week to get that workout Monday or Tuesday and then decide if they want to sign him or not so then he can be prepared for the week six game against the San Francisco 49ers at home. There was probably not any chance of, even if they worked him out Thursday or yesterday, that he was going to make the trip to L.A. and play this week. So they want to wait, and I think it's just going to come down to it. Is Carlos Williams the 20 or 30 pounds overweight guy who's maybe in the 240s, 250s, or is he the 220, 230-pound running back that ran a sub-4-5 sub um, 40-yard dash at the Combine? He's certainly that downhill thunderback that we saw last year. Um, he has that capability, and I think for a lot of what the Bills are doing, even with their wildcat formation, that – trap play that I was talking about earlier. He is the ideal complement to someone as agile as Shady McCoy, someone with just the straight line speed of Mike Gillisley. He kind of is a speed power back. Um, I think the Bills just were not happy with the suspension. They, More than that, they were not happy with him just being not conditioned um, and well overweight, especially for someone who was already a bigger back in the first place. So I really think it's simply going to come down to what kind of shape he's in, what kind of conditioning he has, and if he is more uh, the 2015 draft prospect, Carlos Williams, or what the Bills saw when they um, had him come back to camp and he was well overweight. I think they would certainly like to have him um, on the team, and they're probably hoping that he is more conditioned because he is a very talented young running back. He just needs to get his his mind and and kind of his off-field work right. Chris, last question before I let you go here for the weekend. L.A., 3-1 and one under Jeff Fisher. My thought behind this 3-1 and one start is it just means an easier road to 8-8 eight and eight moving forward. As, you know, most people joke that, you know, Jeff Fisher is one of the most mediocre coaches in the league. How does he still have a job? It's consistently going 7-9 or 8-8 eight and eight every season, other than that one Super Bowl appearance with Tennessee. Are you buying this 3-1 and one start from L.A.? Can this be a sustainable way to win football games with Case Keenum basically throwing glorified screen passes to a bunch of receivers who are basically no names and a really good running back who can't seem to get going with a, a really good defense? Or is this team maybe for real? Maybe their defense is good enough to carry this team, and it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. Just wanted your thoughts on L.A. and maybe the prospects of them moving forward. Yeah, I think through the first quarter of the season, a team, you know, most of the time, teams that are 3-1, and one, you think that they're a pretty good team, that they've had four games to kind of prove what kind of team they are. Um, and over the course of the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, sure, there have been a, f- a handful of teams, two, three, four teams, that have been able to just ride a great defense, um, The you know, just getting a lot of turnovers and, you know, really not that good uh, quarterback play. I think of that Bears team with Rex Grossman that made it all the way to the Super Bowl. That's kind of what it seems like what the Rams want to do. Um, that they just want to win games 17-13 like they did last week. But the the overwhelming, um, most of those teams with, with poor quarterback play that they can't stretch the field whatsoever, there's 
wide-open receivers that are being missed, those teams usually come back to earth a little bit. Um, and I would say that's probably 80 to 90% of those teams. So I just think if there's any time that you can get out to a good start and kind of uh, fool some defenses, it's obviously in that first quarter of the season. I think eventually, though, Case Keenum's physical limitations, his accuracy limitations will kind of catch up to the Rams. I don't know if they're a 9-7 and seven team, 8-8 eight and eight team. I think they're probably in that range, and, and it'll just kind of come down to if they can create turnovers and not turn over the ball. But in, in this NFL, as Bills fans certainly know, you need to have good, quarter, uh, good quarterback play to win consistently. And the Rams' offense has been one of the worst in the league. Todd Gurley's not really going at all, as you mentioned. Um, so I think they can keep themselves in games with defense, but over the course of the season, when you're in those games, you ultimately need your quarterback to make some plays. I just can't trust Case Keenum doing that into October, into November, and into the last month of the season. All right, Chris, thank you so much for hopping on with me this morning. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and uh, we'll talk soon, my friend. All right, Nate, thanks a lot. Chris Trapasso there of Buffalo Rumblings on the AT&T Hotline, so appreciate him joining us there. So when we come back, I'm going to preview my rant uh, that is going to undoubtedly happen as we move into the next hour regarding this whole Chad Kelly fiasco. I want to hear from you. I want to know, is there any circumstance that allows a spectator on the sideline, doesn't matter who you are, what you represent, to jump into the field of play and basically attempt to fight someone during a football game, an organized high school, college, professional game. I want to hear from you. 803-0551-888-552-550. Your thoughts on the Chad Kelly situation when we come back. This is Sports Talk Saturday. I'm Nate Geary. This is WGR. When Zach Brown leads the NFL in tackles, I think that's a great sign. That probably exceeds expectation. We thought he'd play well, but I don't know if anybody expected him to play this well. That is Bills coach Rex Ryan talking about Zach Brown, who, as he mentioned there in the sound, leads the league in tackles so far this season. A great start to the season for Zach Brown. A lot of comments, tweets at me, at WGR. if you want to tweet at me about this Chad Kelly situation. A lot of takes I have no interest in even agreeing with. Um, a lot of... Oh, well, Timon's a bunch of scumbags, and I would have done the same thing. Well, I'm going to tell you, and I don't want to start my rant now because I need at least a good 20 minutes to do so, but if if that was me and I run out into the field of play, I lose my job. I end up in handcuffs. Just a thought. 803-0551-888-552-550. Let's hear your thoughts. Call in. Tweet at me, at WGR at WGR. 550. This is Sports Talk Saturday. I'm Nate Geary. This is WGR. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.